Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. In this podcast, actor Hugh O'Connor talks with me about Enda Walsh's Arlington, how it came about for him, the research, rehearsal and pre-show routine involved in it. He talks about running lines, swimming lengths and breathing life into characters, the joy of juggling projects, framing friends and the patience of the long-distance filmmaker. Hugh gets down to the heart of darkness in Arlington. We talk of hope, of metaphor and the supply and demand of dreaming. Enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome Hugh O'Connor. Hi. Um, it's a two-show Saturday and you're just minutes from having been on stage. Are you somewhere in the half-light at the moment? Have you, have you come down? <laughs> um, we've just been de- dealing with visas, visa applications for, for New York, so I've come down. <laughs> <laughs> with a bang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so this um, is for your, the tour um, out to New York, uh, St. Anne's Warehouse? Exactly, yeah. And that's happening in a month's time? Yeah, it's about two months actually. I think it's, it's all for, well, it's the end of April, yeah. You have a vast array of disciplines at your disposal. You're, you're like a media hub, all-in-one man. Um, we might discuss that later, but am I right in thinking that it was while you were photographing The Last Hotel and watching The Last Hotel, that opera, that um, Enda started talking to you about Arlington? Well, I think that's when I met Enda first. So um, I mean, obviously knew him and uh, his work and had seen uh, a lot of his work, but I had never met him. So I was really excited. And Anne Clark actually asked me to do some photos for for the last hotel. So I got to have a creative meeting with Enda, which is really exciting. And I met him. I remember on I think it was like the morning of their opening night of of Wilbur Farce in the uh, Olympia with the Gleasons. So uh, we went for kind of some breakfast and we talked about what he was sort of thinking of for the photos for Last Hotel. Um, so that's when I met him. And then actually when I, they did a screening of the film of The Last Hotel, uh, probably about a year later. Um, and I went to that because um, they'd asked, very kindly asked me along and went out with Enda and, and a few of the others that night. And then a couple of days later, he asked me. So it was, um, I don't know if, if I put him in his, put myself in his head or something, but uh, that's how it seemed to work out. And what was the invitation? What Did he have a script to hand you at that point? Yeah, yeah, he had it ready to go. So, um, um, yeah, yeah, it was an amazing email to get, you know, just uh, popped in. Um, was going out to the shops and I was like, oh my God, I know Charlie sort of said the same kind of thing. She got it and she just sat down and read it right away. And I remember coming back from the shop and just sitting down and going, OK, no matter what this is, I'm doing it. Uh, and I hope I hope I can do it well. So um, it was really exciting. Yeah. Oh, and what was your or was there a gut reaction or an instinct when you read it? I suppose, what, what did you first think of it? Um, I, you know, I, I loved it. I, I was, you know, I had to read it again. Um like any actor, you kind of go, how big is my part? <laughs> and I was like, I've called a young man. I was like, I'm going to be barely in this. And then, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a really amazing part and an amazing place. So I was so excited. And uh, yeah, yeah, I called him right away. And so that, that probably was about this time last year, maybe a little bit later, um, a bit later. But okay. um, That's yeah. more recent than you'd think, actually. Yeah, yeah, because we obviously did it in Galway last summer, so... Um, and you didn't actually have that much time to prepare. Am not, right in thinking not a long time, no, because he wrote it very quickly and then it was kind of put into Galway quite quite late. So that's why we were in Leisureland, um, as opposed to maybe the black box where I'd seen Bally Turk two years before. So, yeah, yeah, it w- went pretty, pretty quickly. Um, in terms of your research, I know uh, that you're you're known to be known to uh, thoroughly research for a role in, in this instance. Um, where did you begin with this young man? Was it a case that it was uh, a portrait of Enda as a young man? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I read a lot of Enda's, obviously went out and bought all of Enda's plays and read them all. I found a book on the theatre of Enda Walsh, which I actually gave to Enda. He didn't even know it existed, which is hilarious. Um, and uh, 
No, I mean, you know, and research, I don't know, I read a book on, I remember reading a book on acting by Declan Donnelly, which I hadn't, I hadn't done some acting in a while. And I was like, oh my God, on stage. So, uh, um, I, did no, you really, did you really have to, uh, like, did you, do you need to refresh? Uh, I think it's good to, I mean, especially when you haven't done stage for a few years. Actually, the last thing I did was in, in the Abbey about three or four years ago. Lear, four in years, Lear, I think, yeah. yeah. So that was a while ago. So, uh, and I had been kind of, honestly, I'd been waiting for something really exciting to do and this was it. So, um, yeah, I mean, the great thing about End is that he's such a physical person when he's describing or when he's directing and when he's, you know, he, he reacts to everything and kind of, he can't help but kind of get physical. So it's a great way of, you just watch him and he kind of gives you hints in terms of what he's sort of imagining the part will be and uh, and that's really exciting. And, and obviously, you know, you, we tried different ways of doing it and it's changed in little bits from here, from Galway to here as well, you know, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the challenges of this role, apart from the rate at which you have to respond to the text and the, the physical aspects of the role, you also have to convincingly tell stories. And, and, in, and in this case, I suppose there, ha- there has to be a visual skill to it. It's almost like a radio play in that first episode. Um, yeah. How did that work in the rehearsal room? With um, Well, the first bit, obviously, with Charlie, um, we were able to do it you know, facing each other, where at least we we did it in the setup that it is here, but we were able to see each other because obviously there's a wall um, between us in, on the set. So uh, it was great to rehearse that way where we could kind of see each other. And, and although we were never really looking at each other, but myself and Charlie always run lines before the show. Um, we did that in Galway as well, just so we can see each other and, and kind of, uh, you know, get, get connected in that way. And then even with Alwyn, she was there the first week of rehearsals in, Go- in in London last summer when we were going to Galway. So it was great to actually rehearse with her. So she sort of sat there as though she was the supervisor. And um, so I kind of performed to her, which is great. So so both the first and the third sections, you know, we did. We have done that with with the people there. And then so obviously the set comes in and, and the voices come in and it becomes more of a it does become more. I mean, especially it's especially hard for Charlie because she's just looking at, you know, cameras in the first thing, whereas I can see her on the the monitors so then in the third section I get that of obviously Alwyn's just Alwyn's voice um yeah so does that change though does that change for you I suppose um that must change the dynamic or are you careful about that dynamic yeah it does a little bit but um you just have to kind of adjust to that you know um and it is such a warm I feel like it's a warm exchange in the first sort of first part of it that you kind of almost feel like you're looking at her even though you're not you know and and Charlie's I was saying it the other day you know she's so easy to act to be in love with because she's such a great person and such a great actor that you know there's not much acting involved you really are like oh my god I love her so much (laughs) (laughs) you talk about running lines with Charlie beforehand do you have a routine before a show yeah or or this one in particular we do do. yeah Yeah. we meet up an hour beforehand and just we actually run the whole thing really yeah yeah and what is that for momentum or is that for is it now part of the routine so you have to do it or is it uh, just to keep it fresh? I think it is to keep it fresh and, and obviously with rehearsals you, you're running the lines all day and then when it's when it's into a run you're just meeting up in the evenings and doing it so uh, it's kind of just a way of getting kind of exercising the, the, the lines. Um, and if we started in Galway we were in Leisurelands we, we were all this sort of strange backstage area so we kind of just started doing it there um, while, while people were getting ready um, and we just faced each other and did the whole thing. So yeah, we, we started doing that here as well. So it's it's kind of fun and we sort of chat and, and catch up as well on our day and stuff. So it's kind of our general meeting area. <laughs> Do you miss the smell of chlorine? Well, I actually swim before the shows. So um, I loved it. I was like, there's a pool in the theatre. This is amazing. So um, 
So I actually missed, I didn't get to swim today before the matinee because um, we were filling out visa forms and actually the pool is busy in Trinity. There's kids there until about one o'clock. So uh, I didn't get to swim before that show, which was strange because uh, in, in Goa I was able to do it, you know, whenever. It was just literally across the, the corridor. And you swim, is that... Or, you know, to relax beforehand or is it part of... It's a bit of both. I actually did it with, with Lear as well. And it, I've done it actually for a few plays now. I just find it it's a good way of sort of exercising. I do it anyway. I, sw- I love swimming. So um, it's my exercise. And uh, it's kind of, it's weird, you know, they talk about mindfulness, but it is a kind of nice way of relaxing while also exercising. And uh, I do run lines in my head. And then, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like low impact exercise that uh, I feel quite you know you feel good after it you feel there's a there's a, there's a nice steam room in Trinity so uh, I sort of sit there and worry and then come over here are you a worrier <laughs> well I'm a bit of a worrier but no not really do you do you fret your time on stage <laughs> well I try not to I mean you once you're out there you don't because you're just doing it and with this it's great you know you come out the beginning of, of act one let's say and then it's straight through come off and then get ready for act three and has to put on makeup and a, and a mic and stuff and then I come on and then I come off and that's over so there's no kind of time where you're coming on and off there's not a lot of entrances and exits it's just sort of one burst and two bursts How does that feel because there is that middle section um, it's funny because just on the, the odd evening I've been up on the top card or uh, you might meet Charlie well actually before the show Right. and you know always so friendly and lovely as Charlie is but I'm always conscious that you know almost don't you know, I'm I'm always aware of what you guys have to do to get into character, and um, I'm just curious about actors and how they. Yeah, no, I mean we're sort of it's definitely not like total method or anything. I mean, you know, with this we're playing our own. It's not far from ourselves. Like I'm, you know, anxious. Not that I'm a particularly anxious person, but you know, I'm doing my own accents because Enda didn't want us to do accents because we talked about it before and myself and Charlie and we we're like we kind of want to do accents and. And Charlie didn't want to do her own voice. I was like, I don't want to do my own voice, but um, he wanted us to. So, and it feels right that we we are kind of close to ourselves. So it's not a huge change. It's not like you're getting into a completely different character, although it is. So um, I kind of find when I put on the glasses uh, and I've got my 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 outfit on, my uniform, it sort of gets me into the character. But we're still chatting backstage beforehand. But uh, you know, it's almost more to to lose nerves, I think, than anything else. Um, once once it starts, I think you just lose yourself in it, which is what acting really is isn't it you sort of just lose yourself in 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 the moment then which is really amazing and you there's some sort of mystery about that and and in in so i suppose because you you've created a world in that first half hour and then there is i suppose a momentum break for you yeah like what do you do in that middle section do you how do you how do you sustain that just for your own where do you have to go to keep that momentum going i've got to go to my dressing room um, because well no it's it's actually not very long because although Una's, Una's piece is, is amazing and it's probably just under 20 minutes but I have to do quite a makeup change I've got to put on more and Sophie the SM comes and puts my mic on and she does more back makeup for me so actually I, I have only about a couple of minutes free um, before I go back on so I kind of run the lines myself and I run up and down the stairs here because I'm supposed to be all a bit out of breath yeah it's pretty full on there's not really much time to worry which is good um, you mentioned Alwyn earlier. I think I was, I was kind of occurring. I kind of have these, what are they called? The Americans probably call it a refrigerator moment. But uh, <laughs> mine isn't a refrigerator. My fridge is very small. So I end up eating cereal standing up in my kitchen. <laughs> and I think, I thought, ah, oh, Alwyn, I should have extended the invitation for Alwyn to interview. Yeah. Oh, right. That might have become an, <laughs> And then I talked my way out of that. And I was like, no, nah, yeah. that could have become an interrogation. <laughs> yeah, all over that again. Could have, I've yeah. just been through that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, leave the poor man alone. Um, what's the rehearsal room like? up there with Enda. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. You know, he's so, he, like you say, he was an actor starting out, so he knows 
what actors kind of go through and um you know sometimes directors might sit there and kind of just take notes or you know you feed off their energy so he's got such amazing energy that you just want him to be happy and because he's written it as well which is unusual often with a director um he's kind of you know he's so engaged and he feels it so much so when you know especially when like Una's dance and stuff uh, he's he's like crunched up or he's like <gasps> or he's, he's almost crying or he's like covering his face and it's so great to have that from a director because you sort of feel he's so in, involved in the moment and feeling it as much as you guys so uh it just makes you give all the more yourself you know and uh he's really really funny he's um really rude um <laughs> you know and when he he gives great notes after you know after runs or after you know just in rehearsals and and you know even even when we've been on here after shows previews and things you know he just makes all the notes so much fun and kind of they they there it's never work or like a teacher giving out to you it's like you know what if you try this or this might be good and you're like yes so um it becomes kind of a shared kind of experience together which is the best way to do it you know um it should be fun even though it's it's a, it's a difficult play let's say or it's an intense play but um you know i definitely feel backstage where we go on you know just try and enjoy it because i'm lucky to be here involved in this so you know just try and even though you're nervous you know or anxious things are going to go wrong whatever but you just have to go and enjoy it because i think the audience feels that as well you know if you go out confident and you know open to things always go wrong <laughs> every night what do you do when things go wrong do you i mean you're experienced enough now to or do you have a contingency contingency plan that if something goes wrong, I'll do that or... Um, not really, but I suppose, you know, you just figure that at least a couple of things are going to go wrong every night. So, I mean, and this isn't even that complicated, but uh, I can only imagine Ballyturk now because it's so so technical. But um, yeah, I mean, generally things or you know, coughs come in weird places that you wouldn't expect or a laugh comes you weren't expecting. So no matter, even if everything goes right, they still it's still different every night and the audience is different every night. So that's what makes every night uh, its own unique experience, which is what's great about theatre. So I know... The thing about this play is that I was there on opening night and it's the kind of play that, you know, I certainly don't have all the answers to, but everyone seems to have um, their own version of it, I suppose, yeah. or, or what they've just witnessed. And it's there was lots of people in the auditorium afterwards that just didn't leave the auditorium and they just <laughs> spun around and started just needing to talk. There's that line um, that I didn't hear until I'd seen it the second time, those keeping and those mm. being kept. Oh, just... The whole thing haunts me. Uh, I'm so happy to be cycling away at the end of the night. You know, it's... Yeah. it's I know. We're lucky. We're lucky we get to go home. I know. Because yeah. I know there's, you know, the, the slapstick comedy um, and there's the love story. But then it kicks in a little later and you just think, what's seen outside that window? And then what you say, you, what you overhear when you're underneath the table in that party scene. And you just think... They're clever little drops, mm. you know, that you that I suppose catches up with you later. It's just terrifically haunting. Yeah. Yeah, it is a mix of all that. It's sort of, you know, there's a very serious, dark, harsh at the centre of it. But um, there is kind of hope in it, too. Um, I think my brother came to see it last night, actually, and we were talking about it this morning. And, you know, ideas about what the uh, the dreams that she's talking about, Charlie's character has to give dreams. And he was saying, you know, what's the point of that? Are they? And, and he was sort of thinking maybe they're they're actually just a way of keep like being kept so they're being kept and they're being told that these dreams are being created but they're not so it's just a way of keeping people and it's like entertainment for themselves so there's yeah. a lot of metaphors there for different things you know? where does she get those dreams from yeah uh, where's the material for that yeah and what, what's been fed to her and, yeah um, and also you know it's it's an, and he was even sort of making the point like it's it's almost like 
maybe in for Enda, you know, who has to sit in a room and create these worlds, you know, and then he sort of gets to watch them be created. And, you know, that is a form of torture for himself, you know, having to come up with those worlds and going through your own life and your childhood and things that have gone right or wrong and that. So it's a metaphor for a lot of things as well as, you know, refugees or, you know, uh, it's it's and even you know with all the political kind of strife at the moment you know we we're really kind of talking about all because Brexit was going on last summer and he'd written it you know a few months before that but uh, and now we have a lot of you know with the with the ban the Muslim ban coming in trying to you know it's all very it feels very opposite and uh, you know it would be interesting to bring it to New York it'd be interesting to see what people think in America as well um, leaving Arlington behind as, as if goodbye Arlington as if we can <laughs> <laughs> can I ask you you. You study drama at Trinity. Uh, what did you learn at, at drama school? Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, it wasn't sort of it wasn't an acting course. It was um, you know drama and theatre, so it was a way of. So kind it was of, more academic. It then. was. It was okay. academic. There wasn't really any. Although we did players stuff, so I kind of started writing a bit there too, and directed a play in my fourth year, an Orson Welles adaptation the only play he wrote uh, Moby Dick rehearsed so uh, which is obviously based on Moby Dick but they do, they're do they doing King Lear during the day and he decides to put on King Lear at night so they, they move the, the furniture around and they put on uh, Moby Dick uh, so that was great and ultimately I got to go to film school in New York then um, so I really uh, if I and if I hadn't done that I wouldn't have maybe gotten into making films so uh, or myself anyway so uh, I learned loads you know I mean obviously you go to college to find out what you want to be or do um, and met some great people who I'm still friends with. But uh, yeah, it, it was a, it was a, it really was a kind of mix. It's funny that we all kind of contributed to this book recently called Trinity Tales, and I had to go back and kind of write a piece about. I decided to write about this one play that I put on myself and players when we were all messing around. So it was a good way of going back and thinking about. It. I had to kind of corroborate all these facts with friends. Going to what, when did we, we all had different memories about what was. We found one guy, Richard Morton, who's brilliant, who was in our year, who remembered everything, had every programme. I was like, Rich, do you remember? You weren't drinking enough, Richard. <laughs> you remember all this stuff. You shouldn't remember. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it's interesting that, um, or is it interesting, you can tell me this, if um, that having acted so young, you chose to go down the academic route and then you chose a different medium to study in New York. Yeah. Was that to, as you say, just to find your feet and, and think of where you want to go to next? I suppose, I mean, I, I was always kind of making silly films with, with a video camera when I was in my teens. And I think because I'd been around film sets since I was young, I kind of was interested in cameras and making stuff. And I don't know why, but I kind of, I guess it was a good mix of both acting and and making things. So, um, and yeah, I'd worked on a film, a friend of mine who's very, I'm still a great friend of, uh, who it really inspired me as a director, a film director who was into Scorsese and Kubrick and I tell him about films I liked, he's like, that was rubbish and I was like, what? I thought it was great and he sort of made you kind of work harder so uh, I thought maybe I could try and make shorts and films myself so that's why I think because there wasn't really a film school here at the time uh, I had to do drama was kind of the closest thing I could do so um, then yeah, going to NYU was brilliant and then ultimately coming back here and starting to make shorts at the film board and, and I'm, you know, hopefully trying to get a feature made this summer so um it's actually a paul murray script uh who wrote he wrote skippy dies uh, and the mark in the void and i'd approached him about five years ago about maybe writing something when i was doing a play in the gate actually stephen swift another actor he saw me reading it and he's like oh i know i know paul and i was like really because it's brilliant and i got got in touch with him and we met up and he'd never written a script himself so we kind of talked about ideas and he came up with a great idea so we've been working on that for about five years and we're hopeful that it might go um 
this summer, if possible. I, I, you know, it it could all fall apart. But uh, you have to have such patience yeah, for the you do. length of time you it do. takes. Yeah, I, I guess is that you know. I suppose you have you have the best of many worlds there that you have uh, speed at which theatre can run, and yeah. then you have to yes. you know you have this other life that requires a lot of it waiting does. and lot decisions more, in other yeah. people's hands. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose because the budget budgets are obviously there's a lot more. I mean, although there's a lot of money obviously at stake in a show in the Abbey, um, but you know, uh, you're raising it yourself really for a project that never existed before. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a longer process. And when you haven't done a feature, let's say. Do you have to kind of get to the point where they believe that you can do it? Because it's kind of catch twenty two, you know. So you have to build up yeah. uh, a CV. Yes, I guess. exactly. Um, and you have quite a CV because you, you know it's taken even a couple of lines on this piece of paper to write what you do. And I'm sure this is only a section of it, but you're an actor for theatre and film. You're a videographer, music video director, writer and director of short films part-time shepherd uh, and a full-time <laughs> gifted photographer. Uh, I don't know what the shepherd thing is, but I've been doing my research. It's a silly and, line, yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, all these mediums inform each other and they obviously can work together. But when you work on a project, uh, I'd imagine that it can become all-consuming. So um, do you, uh, can you multitask or, 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 or do you need to give your attention just to the one project? Because creatively, I th- that's a bit of a... Yeah, um, I don't know, it's funny, Daphne, you, you know, you have to be able to multitask if you're doing a few different things, but uh, it's weird how you kind of, well, first of all, you sort of almost need to have a few things on the go because they never all go at the one time. So hopefully they don't anyway. So um, it's a way of kind of keeping a few balls in the air and then hopefully one will kind of land at the right time. So, uh, yeah, you do find yourself sometimes working on a couple of different projects and mediums in a day <laughs> but that's really good fun you know and then if you need to you know focus on this one let's let's say the play you know you just focus on on that and put everything else away um but then there's time when you can so uh you have to think a different way so yeah. those different gears yeah uh, yeah how do you how do you manage that um i don't know i mean it's sort of it's it's funny i mean each each one has their own kind of yeah requirements but um like the photography thing recently I've been doing this this exhibition thing and uh for the film festival and, and growing asked before Christmas and I was like okay well I'll, I'll only be here for like two weeks and then I'm going to, to London to start rehearsing the play so I kind of just was able to focus for those two weeks on the on doing the photos and I ran around trying to get all these photos taken and then get them scanned and working with the printer and then got all finally done I think it all got finally done just before our first preview um which was a little bit hairy but uh because we'd done the play before it wasn't like it was the first time we were ever doing it but um in a way it's kind of nice to have something else to to be working on because then you don't worry too much about this and then when you get to just to just be an actor you're really really welcoming it you know and just happy to just do your own job you know but then you work with someone like Enda and you learn so much from him being a director and being a writer and then someone like Charlie or Una you know they're all amazing and even Jamie and, and Adam they're such incredible designers and you know um, from everyone you know from Teo the, the musician you know trying to convince him to maybe do the music for the film I'm working on I've sent him the script I'm like please do this Um, so yeah so it's funny they do all inform me to I do sort of when I get asked that, I'm like, why do you do loads of different things? They're like, well, I don't know. They sort of feel like they're the same thing, really. You're sort of telling stories visually in some way. I was going to ask, do you, do you always have the camera with you? Are you always ready to catch that spontaneous? Is it that spontaneous? Yeah, um, I definitely don't always bring a camera with me because I think that would be really annoying. Um, so, uh, You have some beautiful portraits of, of the actors backstage. Beautiful, like there's Aoife Duffins oh, and yeah, Catherine Walkers yeah. and Castellippi. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing it with fresh eyes. It's... Oh, that's great. They're really beautiful, Hugh. 
Oh, thanks. Thanks, Lisa. I mean, yeah, it's sort of, you know, I suppose it's funny. Definitely with photography, you kind of have a trust with the person. And I know for myself, and get photos taken, you, know, you have to kind of respond in some way or trust the photographer. Um, and maybe being an actor, you kind of, and obviously those shots are all with actors, that's a little bit easier. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a way of kind of making them involved in it too. So not having too much of a plan beforehand, but kind of going, well, let's, or often I'd ask friends who aren't actors, let's say, just to go and try something. And we kind of come up with it together and sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, um, but yeah, it's sort of plan sometimes just let's go and try and make a shot. So that would be when I'd bring the camera. And sometimes I would bring it if I'm going away somewhere or anything like that, but I wouldn't take it with me all the time because I think that you'd sort of, and I'm not a you know full-time photographer, so it's not something I do for a living, let's say. So uh, I want it to be fun. It's like maybe if you study English, you never want to read a book again kind of thing. So I'm kind of glad, you know, to just be an ama part-time amateur at it, you know. <laughs> and this exhibition you have at Paris Court, that has just opened. Yeah. Is there a theme to it or...? Yeah, I mean, Grony, it's sort of, I think they do it every year for the film festival. They they ask different photographers just to take kind of either portraits or shots. So, um, and because it's the Dublin Film Festival, Grony said, you know, the sponsors were sort of hoping that it might have something about Dublin in it. So I decided it would be black and white on my Hasselblad um, with no no lights, just kind of available light and somewhere, get each person to have maybe somewhere that they re relate to in Dublin or just somewhere interesting in Dublin. <laughs> so that's the plan. So, uh and the Hasselblad, I was looking at your, your site, and um, so this is a type of camera yeah. that, it, it, um, sorry, is it yeah. it's not digital, it's, not it's digital, just it's works film. film. It's, it's medium format, so it's it's kind of, it's 120 film, and you look down uh, to the to the frame to kind of take your image. So you're actually not looking at the other person, which is often a good thing. You know, you're not kind of, you're not pointing at them, <laughs> you know, perform for me. Uh, so that's interesting. And yeah, the frame is an image, it's, it's a very big, big negative so that the detail is great and different to digital um although you can get digital houseplats now as well um i don't know i'm just stuck in stuck in the old-fashioned way i learned you know learned using it years ago so i still still do it and there is something different about film you're a bit more careful about what you shoot because it costs money to develop and you know you're you're scanning it in yourself so it is a tactile thing you come up with this little piece of film that you've come you know that's it so um and you kind of forget about what you've taken for a few days until you get the, the negatives back. And, you know, you don't you don't shoot, shoot, shoot like digital. You kind of are a bit more careful and compose the shot a bit better. So you do learn from from that. Um, yeah. So that was the plan. And so, yeah, I just it's about 15 shots of different people, uh, filmmakers, editors, directors, writers and, and actors. Can't, I actually can't wait to see it. I remember yeah. you were talking about it I yeah. think in press last week. Yeah. And I was putting it in my diary. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you walk around yourself? Um, like, do you see the world in, in frames? You know, like, I'd imagine whatever world you, you live in in your <laughs> what head. What world do you live in? Well, no, it's just, well, it's a very beautiful world, I'll tell you that. Like, if it's it's just this beautiful light, I was like, I could live in his yeah. head, no problem. You know, it's not real. <laughs> but um, the camera lies so much. No, because also you take so many bad shots, as any photographer sort of you read about. You know, you take loads of terrible shots and you're hoping that you're taking a good thing and it turns out rubbish. And even often the ones you think are the good ones are not. And you got lucky with, it's definitely luck. Um... It's a bit of luck. It's a bit of a bit of being at the right time, a bit of, you know, having done it for quite a bit. You kind of know hopefully what framing might look nice and light and backgrounds and stuff. But um, I think I remember reading about Spielberg. If he was ever bored, he'd uh, he'd decide how he'd cover a room in shots. You know, how would you shoot this room in terms of reverses or where would you put the camera? And uh, not that I think that way, but I think it's a kind of an interesting way of looking at things. So, yeah. Um, but I think you kind of need the camera there before you can really, I can do it anyway. I'd, I'd need to kind of have it before I'd know. Oh, I wanted to ask you about the place of music in your life. 
Yeah, like say, what are you listening to at the moment? Well, I I was lucky laughing with Sophie, um, who comes in to do my my mic and stuff. So we have this like little routine where I've been listening to some classical music beforehand because I do still because my dad obviously is a classical musician and I love classical. So I find kind of I have different tastes to him, but um, I listen to that before she comes in, and then when she comes in, I started listening to this. Uh, it's quite dystopian. Um, Trent Reznor uh, does amazing soundtracks and um, with Atticus Ross he did the social network and stuff and I think he did the soundtrack for this Before the Flood or it's called Before the Flood uh, I think it was the DiCaprio documentary about okay. climate change and this beautiful, beautiful soundtrack but it's quite scary so I put that on when she's putting my my mic on and we kind of get into our dystopian world and then um, and then I've been listening I always listen to Talk Talk when I when I come off stage and, and this show anyway they have two incredible albums um, Laughing Stock and uh, Spirit of Eden, which are just the most two of the most beautiful albums I've ever heard, and uh, yeah, so that's but that's cheating because I know all that music before. But um, I can yeah. imagine it's like Sophie will be somewhere or something, she'll hear that music and she'll just start <laughs> yeah, reacting. She will, to it. yeah, start putting makeup on. Someone's. I know. We were like, we have to come up with some new music for New York. <laughs> we're just yeah. going to go crazy. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking that that if the if the, if there was a future uh, project. Uh, you would actually star in it, direct it, write it, and it would have a banging soundtrack. Is that is that coming up or? I don't know. I I did do something actually with with the filmmakers in Kilkenny where I played myself. Uh, I played myself as a dick coming to help them make a documentary or make a film for their sort of student film festival thing. Um, and I make them do this idea that I have, and that was the only time I really would act on my own thing because it was really weird. And uh, I think it's kind of it's a bit it's a bit sort of you know I'm I'm going to be in it. I'm going to star in it. And, directed it's so i don't i definitely if this thing we're working on i wouldn't be in it but um uh you know maybe a voice off or something but um no no i'm not i'm not desperate to be in the thing um there was that animated short um i had read about yeah uh, is it gogol's yeah exactly yeah where is that now yeah so yeah we're hoping that's going to be ready by summer yeah so they're working away on it i'm i'm not directing it i'm i'm kind of just i adapt you're not animating no i can't draw (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, oh, but um, finally something you can't do. There's a lot of things I can't do. But um, no, I, I'm kind of helping produce it, but I'm, I'm, I am I'm adapted it. And uh, they're an amazing company, Giant, in Dublin, and uh, an Estonian company called A-Film. So they're working on it. So hopefully if it all goes well, it's ready for summertime. It's a 26-minute kind of Christmas special. RT and the film board are kind of invested in it as well. So um, that's really exciting. It's been like a 20-year slog like since, read, since yeah. college like I've been trying to get it going in some way so it well, seems to live delay? on what is that delay what is that well originally I was going to maybe try to do as a live action and it's been made before like it, Jack Clayton great film director made it as a short in London in the 60s set in the Jewish kind of clothing quarter and then kind of around college time started thinking maybe it might be an animation um, sorry not maybe about five years ago started thinking about animation so yeah working with a company who then had a bit of problems so we moved to another company and then it's it's a slog especially with animation it takes so long to kind of get the money and and uh, a Christmas special is kind of an unusual thing it was kind of a it's a one-off so they're harder to fund they're not like a series or a, ch- a children's sort of you know show um, so it was a hard thing to, to place but I think we've we've gotten there and it's it's could be really beautiful. We've got yeah, Kelly Murphy and Alfred Molina, Michael McElhatton and Sam McGovern and loads of people's voices who were brilliant. We've recorded with them and they did a great job. So uh, yeah, finger, and the, the animation looks beautiful. So I'm really hoping it's going to turn out well. And, and does that because it's an animated like in a way the technology will change. So the years are going yeah. by. Well, it's interesting because we it's sort of written with a kind of a wraparound story. So the grandfather telling his granddaughter the story in New York in, in Brooklyn, actually in about 1900. And so that's animated in a sort of hand-drawn, actual hand-drawns uh, by the Estonians who do beautiful hand-drawn animation. And then when it goes into the story of the overcoat, it's it's 3D animation, like 
really up to date. Like Giant are incredibly incredible at their their. I think they're the best at 3D animation in Ireland now and so they're doing amazing work so it's kind of really old fashioned with really really up to date even though it's an old story so hopefully it'll be a lovely melding of styles Sounds brilliant Well come here from one shepherd to another I think we should get the flock out of here <laughs> Okay go on then <laughs> Thank nice. you Hugh Thanks Susan.